loves the stranger. In fact, he told Israel as they came out of Egypt, he said, don't you dare treat the stranger as one outside of you. You treat them with the same laws, and you give them the same care and concern. And yet right now, crowded loneliness has gripped our society. Eighteen years ago, my wife and I penned a book called The Power of Hospitality, saying that an open heart, open hand, and open home would change your world. In Chapter 3, we began with the phrase, Crowded loneliness is frightening. It's nearly inescapable in our modern world, unless, of course, you radically and persistently give yourself to hospitality, or, as our guest today says, friendship. Believe it or not, Even our church buildings are now being designed like malls, breeding grounds for artificial relationships. We belong to a club of strangers yearning desperately for friendship. And years ago, I had on this program the cousin of Dr. James Dobson, who was heading up for Focus on the Family Pastoral Ministries. And he told me that 55% of all non-Christian Americans believe it's getting harder and harder to make lasting friendships. That 62% of born-again Christians were claiming it was getting hard to make lasting friendships. But 73% of all evangelical Christians were finding it difficult to make real friends. How could that possibly be? You could say, whatever happened to Christian community? Whatever happened to the covenant community in America? Are we destined to be strangers in the commonwealth of faith? Well, our guest today says, no, we're not destined that way, but we're drifting that way. In fact, many of us are actually running that way. And so today on Viewpoint, you have, whether you call it a privilege or the bane, to have two lawyers speaking with you concerning the matter of friendship, the matter of hospitality, the matter of a covenant community and what it takes to truly be without loneliness in a very and increasingly lonely world. So I want to welcome here today on Viewpoint a very special guest, Justin Early, with his book, brand new book, Made for People. He says we drift into loneliness and need to fight for a life of friendship. Justin, it's good to have you on the program. Thank you for having me, Chuck. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, I understand that you have a family of lawyers. Your father, Mark Early, who uh, was Attorney General for the state of or Commonwealth of Virginia years ago, uh, was actually on this program, and I believe he also uh, then became a official representative there for... Uh, uh, the prison fellowship ministry, didn't he? You're exactly right. You're exactly right. So he was, he is now a lawyer in Richmond. My brother Mark is also a lawyer in Richmond. And here I am, a third lawyer in our family in Richmond, speaking to a fourth lawyer. Well, it's interesting. Uh, years ago, as I was practicing law in California as a trial lawyer, uh, right at the beginning of my practice, the Lord spoke to my heart very distinctly that I was to run for state, the state legislature. And it's not something I had contemplated doing. I had never had a desire to do it and was not involved in politics at all. So now what am I going to do? I didn't have any money. I didn't have any political connections. And so here's what I ended up doing, Justin. 
I ended up walking door to door in Southern California, over hill, over dale, hitting the dusty trail, knocking on doors every single night after I got off or out of my law office. And uh, I had the proverbial holes in the shoes to prove it, knocking on doors, introducing myself, shaking their hands, and God used that experience walking 1,000 miles door-to-door over a three-year period, running twice for the legislature to actually open my mind and my heart to people in a way that I had never had before. It's amazing what God can do even with lawyers, isn't it? No wonder he had you do it. He had some work for you to do, I guess. (laughs) You know, if it hadn't been for that experience, along with many, many others, I wouldn't even be doing what I'm doing here today. And uh, so we just never know how God is going to use the experiences in our life, even with the friends that we make or even lose over time. We desperately need friendship. In fact, a Harvard sociologist warned that... uh, Emotionally, one of the social consequences of the fragmentation of social groups would be loneliness and a legacy of coldness. And we're right there, aren't we? We are right there. We, If anybody's reading the news, you're going to see it almost every day on the front page. We're confronting an epidemic of loneliness. And, 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 and my claim is that Christians should know why this is happening, and we know how to fix it. Well, why do you think it's happening? Why do you think it's happening? Well, I think it's really important to understand that loneliness is our way of saying relational brokenness. There's something going... Social isolation is a different term. Social isolation is the idea that you're not around other bodies of people, and that's a health problem. That's a health issue, mental issue. But loneliness, which is also... a severely rising mental and physical health issue is the, the brokenness of perceptions of relationships, that you have something on the inside that the outside world doesn't understand, you feel isolated, and that is exactly what you see in the fall in Genesis chapter 3. Mm. So the idea that we are hiding behind fig leaves from each other and hiding behind bushes from God, the idea that we hide is nothing new. It is, it is what sin does to us. In fact, the enemy wants us alone is one of the best lines that Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes in Life Together. Well, because isn't that exactly one of the, uh, the ways of warfare is to get to, to isolate off uh, people or a group or an army, isolate it off from its support system so that you can more easily attack it and gain victory? Exactly. And, that is, and that's what you see the enemy doing in the garden with Eve coming up to her alone, speaking half-truths to her, trying to say, you know, between you and I, did God really mean, right? And so the, the idea that isolation is the enemy's tactic and the isolation is the result of the fall should, should help us understand that living isolated lives or living lonely lives is a spiritual problem before it's a physical one. All right, we want to talk more about that after this break. Uh, That's a great segue because that's exactly where we're heading. It's a spiritual problem. It's not just a physical problem. It's not just an emotional problem. It is a spiritual problem. Are you lonely? Are you around a crowd of people but still feel lonely? 
We'll talk more about it when we get back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Myers. Conversation is always with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. And I trust that our conversation here today will be transformative for you because the reality is we are living in a very, very lonely society. Lots of people. In the 19th, early 1960s, a fellow came out with a book called Crowded Loneliness. Crowded Loneliness. And it's pretty frightening. And that's what we have in our modern world. It's inescapable. Unless you absolutely, radically, and persistently give yourself to hospitality and friendship. It's just going to be there. And uh, so if we're truly followers of Jesus Christ, we should not find ourselves in that position. Because it takes effort. He who would have friends, it is said, must show himself friendly. So then why is it that when H.B. London, Dr. James Dobson's cousin, who was head of pastoral ministries to focus on the family, joined me on this radio program back uh, about 20 years ago, and he said that 70% of pastors in America claim they have no friends. One listening pastor to the program later told me he thought the figure was really much higher than that. How could that be? Is it the more, the closer we get to Christ, the fewer friends we have, or the less friendly we are? And what if indeed we're living on the near edge of the second coming of Jesus Christ? Would it not appear that we should be loving others even the more so? That we should actually have care and concern for others so that they would see our light, our good works, and glorify our Father which is in heaven, and we can provide comfort and care and concern for them. It's really tough to be a stranger, friends, and we're all strangers here on this planet. It's a crisis of loneliness. We were told that there was going to be a crisis of loneliness years ago. Jay Kirby Kirby Anderson joined me on this program. He was discussing his book, Signs of Warning, Signs of Hope. And here's what he said. The baby boom generation, those born from 1946 to 1964, are headed for a crisis of loneliness. It was the single largest generation in American history. What does that tell us about American society today? Has it affected the generations that followed? You better believe it. You better believe it. Maybe that's why there's a failure to launch among the millennials in Generation Z. What do you think of that, Mark? You were talking to my dad on the program. I mean, Justin. <laughs> you know, I've got Mark Early on my mind. 
I he, know. And he's we, the guy. He's the guy I knew. <laughs> we all think it's a compliment to get mixed up. I think. Oh so well, he up. was a, yeah, yeah, a yeah. wonderful guy. Just a wonderful guy. He should have been our governor. I wish <laughs> I would have gotten to live in the governor's mansion. That would be <laughs> but, but yeah, I think it's fascinating, actually, that you said that Dobson predicted that there would be a, a crisis of loneliness amongst baby boomers. And what what I, what I think, Chuck, is that the the American current is that unless we fight for friendship, we drift into loneliness. I told a group of guys this morning, actually all baby boomers, executives, leader, business leaders here in Richmond, uh-huh. that the American current is to become busier, wealthier people who used to have friends. And the, the issue of being a disciple of Jesus Christ has always been, are you going to go along with the cultural current or are you going to live otherwise? And I think one of the ways that we have failed to live otherwise and just gone along with the current is that we have adopted the same social patterns as the rest of America, which means that by and large we look as lonely. And we should be a witness. We should be living differently. You're living in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, Where did you come from to Richmond? Well, I was, you know, I went to high school here around Richmond. Oh, okay. So, though I lived as a missionary in China, uh-huh. and, um, and then went to law school in Washington D.C. Okay, so but you you started. already had your roots in Richmond. Well, let me tell you what happened to my wife and I. Uh, we spent thirty years in Southern California. I practiced law there for twenty, and uh, taught school before that for nine years, and we were kind of known as the hospitality people there in the church and throughout the entire region. And so when the Lord called us to leave Southern California and come to the so-called South, particularly Richmond, Virginia, boy, we had images of Southern hospitality like you couldn't believe. We actually thought we were entering into the very womb of hospitality. So we got here, and uh, at first it seemed like everybody would greet you with a smile, And there seemed to be this, at least out front, sense of receptivity. But very quickly, we discovered it was a veneer, a total veneer. And uh, it was very disconcerting to us. We walked into one church, and they actually closed the doors right in front of us. We, uh, my wife was involved in another church before I actually made the transition here from Southern California, closing my law office. And she tried to introduce herself to the wives of the pastors of that church, and they told her this. We don't have time to get together with you. We have our friends. We don't have time to get together with you. Another party said, you know what, uh... You're just going to have to accept it uh, because everybody here grew up here, and we just don't really, we're just not open to anybody else. Mm. That's how we were received here in Richmond, Virginia. So in order to make friends, we had to almost break the doors down. (laughs) (laughs) Brought pastors into our home. I mean, we had all kinds of things going and uh, actually wrote the book, The Power of Hospitality, right here in metropolitan Richmond. And, uh, you know, we press on because loneliness is a terrifying and terrible disease of the human condition, isn't it? It, that's right, and I think it's it's good that you all pressed on anyway, but it's important to note that that sort of closed-off 
exclusivity, which is so easy to find anywhere, is the opposite of God's approach towards us. One of the things I write about is that the, the Trinity, at great cost, you know, sacrificed Jesus in order to let us in and I, you, to the open circle of the Trinity. And one of the things that we should take from that is that Christian friendship is always welcoming. It's always hospitable. It's always open. It's not a form of closed-off cliques, but rather an imitation of God who welcomes mm. the other end. I think it may have been uh, Viktor Frankl uh, who said, happiness is a door opening outward. We tend to think in America that happiness is a door opening inward. It's all about me. But the reality is, from God's perspective, from a Christian perspective, happiness is a door opening outward, isn't it? Yes, yes. And I think you see that in the story of the Bible as it relates to relationships, that when we close ourselves off, I think it's Martin Luther that called the state of sin uh, in cravatus say, or I can't remember the Latin word, but it's the idea of a heart curved inward. Mm. But the, the fundamental posture of the way we're created is to be before God and before other people, as Genesis 2 puts it, naked and unashamed. Uh-huh. And we're known by God and we're known by others, but we're loved. And what, what I call covenant friendship is that kind of relationship because it's modeled after the love of Jesus who knows us fully but loves us anyway. And that's the outward life. That's the life of saying, I can be known. I don't have to hide. Even though I have sin, I have problems, I have embarrassing things, I'm going to be open and invite others in. And then when we find, when we do that, and we find that others love us anyway, now that's a two-way street. That's not guaranteed, but that's what we're working towards in covenant friendships. That's an imitation of the gospel. All right, so here's a mystery. That's why it's so important. Here's a mystery, Justin. How is it that God could call two lawyers to write and speak about this subject when it seems to have nothing whatsoever to do with the law? That's miracles. God is not a miracle. That's the only way. God still has miracles to do. He can speak even through lawyers, right? <laughs> That's right. It is truly well, I want to make available your book. Uh, it's called Made for People, Friends, Why We Drift into Loneliness and How to Fight for a Life of Friendship. you got to fight for it. You really do. You have to take initiative. Jesus took initiative. God, right. the Father, in the fullness of time, took the initiative to establish or reconnect for us, we call it reconciliation, to reconcile us if we would want to be reconciled, he sent Christ to extend an invitation to us. He said, look, uh, I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there you might be also. In other words, Jesus' message was a message of hospitality, and friendship to us. It's the very heart of the gospel. So how is it that we've missed that? You don't want to miss it. Get a copy of the book, Made for People, Why We Drift into Loneliness and How to Fight for a Life of Friendship. It is a $20 book. Yeah, $20 book, yours for $17 here on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 2. 
888-900-3255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling, and we're going to get the book in your hands. One lawyer to another and two lawyers to you. Uh, God actually used lawyers as a spiritual mouthpiece to our nation. Justin, are you aware that, uh, of course, our national anthem came from a godly lawyer, uh, Francis Scott Key? He also gave us our national motto, In God We Trust. And uh, it was a godly lawyer in 1630 by the name of John Winthrop, who, uh, after loading up four boatloads of Puritans... Yeah, on the Arabella, he gave us a model of Christian charity, which sets forth the very spirit of what you and I are talking about today. It's amazing. And some historians have said that it's the clearest expression of the American vision ever penned, that model of Christian charity. So we put it on the back. We put it in our book, The Power of Hospitality. We put it in the back of our book, Renewing the Soul of America. It is powerful and should be an inspiration to every pastor and every professing Christian out there. So, uh, yeah, lawyers, and of course, uh, we know about uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln, who said, uh, this nation under God and only under God shall have a new birth of freedom, the government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish for the earth. So lawyers were used by God to express some of the most powerful spiritual principles for this country. Amazing, isn't it? Well, we can we can be redeemed then. It's really, really <laughs> encouraging hope. <laughs> so, when Abraham Lincoln said America is the last best hope of Earth, uh, he he wasn't really including lawyers, but uh, it is amazing that God has used lawyers in that respect. Yes, yeah, indeed. spokespersons. That's kind of what God ordains us to be, isn't it? I think, so. I, yeah, absolutely, and I think it's important in this area, particularly because often lawyers can be some of the most isolated. You, I mean, you see this with the, the mental health and the addiction problems in lawyers. Oh, yeah. Often it's, it's professions like ours that trend so hard in the wrong direction. Why do you think and that so is? Think, oh, well, I'll, I'll give a couple answers, but I'll give you one of the shortest. I think that the habits of lawyering that we are taught in law school mm-hmm. and sort of the just naturally move into as part of the faith, uh, as, as part of the the, the profession, uh-huh. are ones that t- tend us towards um, constant, incessant busyness, um, overwork, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and and a sort of admiration of, of a type of professionalism that leaves us isolated from the outside world. And that can be our families, our marriages, and our friends. So I think a lot of it, to put it short, Chuck, is is, is just formation. We're sort of uh-huh. indoctrinated in a way of life that uh, if if we don't fight back, we're going we're going to become like that. And My wife and I were in a uh, a uh, indoctrination uh, time uh, just uh, as I was getting ready to begin law school there in California, and here's what they said: by the end of your law school career, fifty percent of you will no longer be married. Wow, that's what they said. So you're right. <laughs> but doctors have the same problem. And you know what? Pastors have the exact same problem. Do you know that? They just do. We'll yeah. be back. We're made for people, friends. That's what our, our guest today says. We're made for people. God knows that. We shouldn't be isolated. 
What are we going to do about it? Can we get back together through a drift? Or do we have to fight for a life of friendship? We'll be right back. Stay tuned. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, saveus.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. Most of us heard the phrase, he died of a broken heart. It sounds like it's just proverbial, that it's just sort of an easy statement of emotions. But it's not. It's reality. The medical consequences of loneliness were documented by uh, Dr. James Lynch in his book, The Broken Heart. Here's what he said. The price we are paying for our failure to understand our biological needs for love and human companionship may be ultimately exacted in our own hearts and blood vessels. He says, now, we have a death rate twice as high as those with frequent caring contact. And statistics are proving now, friends, that our life expectancy in America is dropping off dramatically and many believe it's not due to covid it's due to loneliness hmm something to think about so when we think about that and uh, as i was discussing uh, earlier with uh, justin early our special guest we were talking about john winthrop one of the most po- prominent puritans to land on our shores a godly attorney He's the one, by the way, who coined that phrase, a city set on a hill. Here's what he said in his model of Christian charity in 1630. We must delight in each other, make others' conditions our own, rejoice together, mourn together, labor and suffer together, always having before our eyes our community as members of the same body. We're company professing ourselves fellow members of Christ. We ought to account ourselves knit together by this bond of love and live in the exercise of it. Well, there's another attorney talking about this same subject. Justin, we're in good company, aren't we? We are in good company. (laughs) I I did not recall that portion of that sermon, even though I've read it before. But wow, what what an enduring sermon that was. Well, yeah, and not only that, but he said, you know what? If we don't live in the honor of this, we're going to become a curse and a byword among the nations. Mm-hmm. That was prophetic, wasn't it? I was just going to say. Or you could say pathetic. <laughs> it's become pathetic because we're becoming okay. a curse and a byword among the nations because we have not, in this day and age, lived out that calling 
And uh, so you talk about community. And uh, we're not talking about sacrificing everything to gain community. We're talking about the reality of real community. Certainly, we have to talk about community in Christ. Some would say, well, community in Christ means that uh, you profess Christ as your Savior, I profess Christ as my Savior, so we're a community. I don't think it works that way, does it? I don't think it's so simple, but it is a starting point. It's a starting point, but it's not the end of the journey. It's like a baby that is stillborn. Yes. There's no life. I think 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 we should think of it as we think of um, our salvation and sanctification. By grace, Christ has worked a miracle in our lives to make us his own, but that is not the end. Then he calls us to be sanctified, to walk with him, to become more like him. And similarly, a starting point for our community is that we are sinners saved by grace. And by the way, that's a really, really rich starting point for community because it helps us admit that we're broken people who are allowed to share flaws. Now, however, we need to become sanctified in our community and work on Mm -hmm. acting like it. And I would say... As I said earlier, Jesus is the model of covenant friendship. He's the one who has come to us vulnerable and committed to us. We should become, you know, Ephesians says, the imitators of God. Becoming more like Christ necessarily means looking more and more like a friend of others' sinners, who Jesus was. Well, he so I sa- think it's a starting point, but it's not the end point. Exactly. He says, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. You, you can't walk in love unless you're in fellowship with others. And I think one of the problems that, that we find in our churches, in fact, I will tell you, uh, repeatedly over the past 28 and a half years here on uh, this program, I have had people call me from all over the country saying, Chuck, where can I find a gathering of believers, a church, a gathering of believers, that is absolutely committed to telling and preaching the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, and that believes in the reality of Christian community. Mm. Those two things. You see, some Mm. places purport to offer a lot of community, but not much truth. Other places purport to offer a lot of truth, but not much community. But the, the Bible... The gospel is about both of those merged together, isn't it? Absolutely. We should not have to choose. That is a great point. Mm-mm-mm. And it's it's a serious problem. Uh, and, and the reality is I cannot, with a straight face, direct people to certain congregations. I can't do that because I know what they're like. And uh, in order to try to gain folk into the fellowship we seduce them by not telling the whole truth yes yes we're trying to win friends by telling people what they want to hear and that's not god's way of reconciling people to himself or to one another is it no i think that's a great point it's not that doesn't work in our individual relationships as in the way the true community is not to tell people what they want to hear, but mm-hmm. to be honest with them about yourself and about them. That's where real relationships happen. 
And similarly, you draw a great point that in church, the way to manifest the body of Christ is not to tell people what they want to hear about themselves, but rather tell the truth about themselves, that they're sinners and they need Jesus. So telling the truth about us and God is the way to the truth, but also the truth will set us free, free to be in community included. Exactly. Now, one of the things that I, I found unusual and that I really liked about your book is your focus is not on feelings, your focus is on the reality of life together because we find ourselves in the same condition that is we're all sinners. And you were just talking about that. We're all sinners saved by grace, which is God's enabling power to enable us to do what he wants us to do. Mercy is what initiated God's reaching toward us. It wasn't grace, it was mercy. It's his grace, then, that enables us to follow through. So, if we don't recognize, first of all, that there were sinners, his grace means nothing to us. Neither does his mercy. Have you ever heard of somebody going before a court that uh, is accused of a particular crime uh, but refuses to acknowledge it or commit it? Or, or or admit it. Is he gonna is he likely to get mercy from the judge? No. No. So we have to confess our sin. We have to come clean before God. And when we do that and then receive Christ as the propitiation for our sin, then we have fellowship with God and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Now we can have fellowship with one another, can't we? That's right. And that's yeah, exactly what John said in 1 John 1. That's exactly what he said. Now you're going to have fellowship with one another. So, that is a, go that's ahead. That's a great point. That's what fellowship is, is, is built on. And the, the first two practices, I call them the arts and habits of friendship, yeah. in, in this book are vulnerability and honesty, which is you know vulnerability being honest about yourself, and then honesty being honest with others about themselves. Mm. And I think you, you, you draw a, a great point there, that the reason that is the way to friendship, and by the way, that's the way to any friendship, not just Christian friendship, but the reason it's the way to friendship is because of the spiritual truth about us, that we need to admit our flaws, and other people need somebody to see them clearly. And that is, as you just quoted from John, that's the way to fellowship. Yeah. So... If we're required to confess our sin before God, then why is it that we have such a propensity to hide from one another? Hmm. Well. (laughs) (laughs) Don't we have to live? uh, You you talk about vulnerability. You talk about openness. Well, openness, brokenness, and oneness, that's what unifies us in Christian fellowship, isn't it? Yes, that's, that's right. And I mean, that, this is James 5.16, the idea that we confess our sins to one another. Right. And that something happens when we do that. But the, you know, the Psalms, the, the psalmist says, you know, when I was silent before God, my bones burned within me. Mm. And I think you see throughout the scope of the scriptures, both of these at play, that we need to be speaking honestly to each other, and we need to be speaking honestly with God. And I personally 
Chuck, feel like my confession isn't complete until it's made both horizontally and vertically. And that is, you know, and if you think about the, the meaning of confession, it's to, to tell the truth, right? We have mm-hmm. confessions that are like creeds. We confess the creeds. Um, when we tell the truth about ourselves to God, and when I tell the truth about myself to my friends, that is when I feel spiritually whole. And I certainly think be, beginning with God is the catalyst for this. But I'll also note that sometimes it's your friends who help you see that you need to repent. And so I see this mm. as really as, as a, um, a symbiotic relationship. You mean like what my wife said to me yesterday? Probably she was right. <laughs> well, they say a friend is one who knows all about you and loves you just the same. And there you go. So we need friends. Now, i got to tell you, uh, I grew up in a pastor's home. And in those days, back in the 1950s and 60s, the general philosophy of ministry and pastor in certain denominations was you can't be too close to the people. Therefore, you have to be moved around about every two years. So, believe it or not, Justin, I went to 26 schools during my sojourn. 26 schools across the country. Of course, that includes law school and college and so on, but 26 schools. How do you make friends that way? Let's talk about that when we get back. Stay tuned, friends. This is Viewpoint. Viewpoint does determine destiny. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by His Spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, Behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. I wonder sometimes if some people don't mean to be torn away in some way from the friends they think they have in order to compel them to make friends. Hmm. Just thinking about it, our special guest today, Justin Early, with his book, Made for People, Why We Drift into Loneliness and How We Need to Fight for a Life of Friendship. Uh, It's a $20 book, yours for $17, on our website, friends. Uh, I hope you'll go there, saveus.org, saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Uh, writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Okay. Now, uh, what do you think, uh, Justin? Do you, do you think sometimes maybe it would be God's best intentions for us to have to make 
a move once in a while to uh, be compelled to reach out beyond our usual uh, cadre of friends? Mm, I absolutely think so. I mean, I think it probably just like God to put us on a pilgrim journey at certain times mm. to cause us to rely on him and to maybe to rely on new people or other people. And yeah. so that's certainly possible. I think one of the ironies of writing this book is that I recommend people try to root geographically instead of following the American current of being upended because potentially there's a raise or a new job elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So I think we should push closer to geography, but that said, this is coming from the guy who picked up after college and moved to China so, <laughs> just because I felt like the Lord called me to China. So I certainly think the calling of God is primary. But absent a specific call, I would encourage people to think about community as a primary factor in their geographical decisions, where you live, what cities you move to. I would mm-hmm. say, unless God is ca- calling you otherwise, think about community above, or at least equal, to work. Very, very important. Very important. Especially in this day and age. Uh, And it's tough to raise a family. It's tough to raise a family when uh, there are no connections. I'm sure that some people would think that uh, my parents uh, engaged in child abuse by uh, having me moved around so many times. But uh, believe it or not, I look at it as a blessing. Because God used that to enable me to adapt and to adapt very quickly and uh, to make a place. And interestingly enough, some people might think that I'm just the most outgoing uh, person out there. No, exactly the opposite. Anybody that knew me knew that wasn't the case. But God had to use a whole variety of things to bring me out of myself to love people including running twice for the state legislature there in California and walking a 1,000 miles door to door. I carried a pedometer to prove it, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah, I sure did. So, you know, I didn't win and thank the Lord for that. I am so grateful, but I had to go through that experience in order to have a heart for people. Now, You talk a lot in your book about how sin separates us from God in our friendship there and how it separates us from one another. And you quote Dietrich Bonhoeffer with these words. The pious fellowship permits nobody to be a sinner. So everybody has to conceal his sin from himself and from the fellowship. So we dare not be sinners. But so we remain alone with our sin, living in lies and hypocrisy. Talk about that. I love that passage. I it's amazing. Passage from Bonhoeffer. And I think what I always say to people is, paraphrasing him, no one is surprised that you're a sinner. Mm-hmm. So my question for the church is, why not talk like it? Why not talk like it? Because when we when we tend to hide now, wait a minute. When you say talk like it, you don't mean to cuss and and drink and go with women that do, do you? No, no. no. Okay. Good point. <laughs> um, no, I don't mean to to keep sending so the grace will increase. No, not that. I mean, why aren't we honest about the fundamental tenet of our faith? That is, we come broken to the cross. I think that church should look more like AA meetings in that. 
when when you see an AA meeting, you see people who are very, very week after week honest about their brokenness because they understand that being honest about their brokenness is the beginning to health. And, you know, they learned that from from the believer who started AA. So it's an absolutely Christian principle. But I fear that you, when we walk into lots of small groups and churches, we sense a dynamic that is um, really the exact opposite. And maybe nobody's making it explicit, but it's very possible to feel like, oh, here is where people have their life together. Yeah. And and no, Dietrich Bonhoeffer would say that's the kind of fellowship that kills fellowship, actually. That's the kind of community that is no community, because sinners are astounded when they, you know, or the churchgoers are astounded when they find the sinners in their midst. And I think following Bonhoeffer's advice to come to, to use our brokenness to be the beginning point of our faith and community yeah. is just timeless wisdom. Well, it's one thing to welcome unrepentant and unregenerate sinners into the congregation, which is not God's intention. It's another thing to realize that those who uh, come into the congregation having repented of sin, reconciled to God, had to, were sinners in the first place, and that we're all sinners saved by grace. And what I find is a, an interesting phenomenon going on that has been used to promote uh, churches, uh, and that is to everybody get on the confessional bandwagon and uh, try to make everybody feel good by telling all the horrible things you did as a sinner. Hmm. Have you seen that? I'm not sure. That it's I've a very seen. common. It, it it's begun. It began uh, in the 1970s. Uh, with the church growth movement, was uh, became even greater emphasized during the seeker-sensitive movement of the 1990s. And uh, I've watched this happen, uh, and it's, it's, it's a bit troubling, because it, yeah, what it to, does... To for, what end? Is it, is, it just, is it to spark testimony, or is it to make people feel like they're not... It's, yeah. Almost it's, brag about your sin. And the there past. you go. <laughs> That's exactly what happens. It's, it's like, we testify to this, therefore, we're all going to, shall we say, go to the lowest common denominator in our life. And since we're all sinners, then we'll just live sinfully. And we'll, we'll just all, see, if, if we're all uh, divorcing our spouses, then we'll just continue to amplify that we're all divorcing our spouses, so what's the big deal? Hmm. Well, that you know, actually has caused the that. divorce rate to multiply and expand dramatically since 1968, when uh, Ronald Reagan signed that divorce, uh, that uh, Easy Divorce Act, and he said it was the worst thing he ever did. Hmm. I've watched this happen. Uh, you know, I, I practice law in in California. Forty uh, percent of my practice uh, was in family law. And 80% of my practice was among uh, so-called born-again Christians. And uh, what I discovered is the, the spirit of breaking up and staying broken up was predominant. Hmm. It was even inaugurated by pastors. 
justifying it, all in the name of, well, we're all sinners saved by grace. So I think it's a both-and thing. I think we, we should not be hiding. We need to realize, hey, I ain't perfect and neither are you. But we're supposed to press on in faith to righteousness. Like the song used to say, I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day. Still pressing as I'm onward bound, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. That should be our cry. Not constantly reverting to uh, where we came from, but where we're going. Without denying where we came from. That's right. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I think, you know, a reading of Romans, for example, would give a good paradigm for this. Moving from the, you know, all of sin have fallen short of the glory of God to what what shall we say then? Should we continue to sin so the grace might increase? No way. And you keep reading and you get to Romans 12, so be transformed. Yeah. Don't be conformed to the patterns of the world. So there's a exactly. honesty about who we are and where we came from. Exactly. But there's a real commitment to who we're becoming in Jesus. And if we let those two become disconnected, then we've lost. And that's the gravity that has to bind us together. We're pressing on. We're, we're forgetting those things which are behind. Yes, we are sinners. Yes, that binds us together because we're saved by grace. Not by our pride, not by our great works or anything. But together, we're forgetting those things that are behind, and now we're going to press forward toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus together. Mm-hmm. Hmm? Amen. That's well put. That's the togetherness of genuine Christian community, and we need small groups to help us to do that. And you have a small right. group right there in their household. You have four kids, don't you? We do, yes. How old and are I, they? We got we got four boys ranging from five to six to nine to eleven. So all between five and eleven right now. Well you have a complete ministry there, brother. Yeah, we got a basketball team, that's for sure. <laughs> if you're tall. <laughs> Well, you know what, Justin, I really appreciate you. I appreciate your family. I know your brother is running for the legislature here in Richmond, and I hope he succeeds. The election is coming out soon. Well, I actually went to one of his fundraising efforts. So uh, he's a good man, and uh, your dad is an excellent uh, brother in Christ. I I just uh, am, am so glad that you and I were able to join together here for the purposes of the kingdom here the book, friends, made for people. Why we drift into loneliness and how to fight for a life of friendship. A $20 book, yours, for $17 on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org. Call us, 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 2 3255, writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Now, I'm going to make a special offer to you. If you also would like to have our book, The Power of Hospitality, which, uh, by the way, is a $16 book, but we'll make it available to you for $10 if you get Justin's book. And together, they are going to provide direction for you as to how to live out 
this community and to escape the prison of loneliness. They really will do that. And when you get the book, The Power of Hospitality, with his book, Made for People, you're only going to add another $2 for postage and handling. But in order to get that special deal, you're going to have to call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA. 1-800-SAVE-USA. So, uh, Justin, are you, uh, are you preparing your sons uh, for Christian community? You know, that's one of the things that I think about every day with four boys. How mm-hmm. am I raising them to be Christian men? And there's many things, you know, family devotion, praying right. with them, making sure they come to church. But one of the things that I think about often is do they see me in relationship mm-hmm. with other men? Exactly. And that is an example I want to leave them with. That is a very powerful statement. We learn by example more than by the spoken word. All right, Justin. Uh, giving you a holy hug here over the airwaves, one lawyer to another. So good to make fellowship with you here. And uh, keep pressing on, my friend. And folks, remember, uh, we have no commercial advertising for this program because it imprisons us from saying what needs to be said. So God is relying upon you, and we're relying upon God for you to give as the Lord moves in your heart to enable us to stay on the air, to prepare the way of the Lord for history's final hour. That's what we're doing even today. Let's live it out. Let's live it out in technicolor, high definition, whatever you want to call it. Let's do it and do it together. God bless and be a blessing. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.